you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Kings chapter number 5, okay? 2 Kings chapter number 5. As soon as I get there, I'll tell you what page it is to turn to. Because your Bible's the same as mine. No, it's not. It's okay. It's about page 446 in mine is where we're going to be at. Happy Father's Day again. Thank you for being here. Those of you who, um, not, not for everybody, this is a great day. Let's just be honest. Some of us were missing our dad because he's gone. He's no longer with us. Some of us, the pain that comes with Father's Day because of the loss of hope and the loss of relationship that goes there too. We understand all of those things. We don't want to minimize any of that. And so we want you to know that today, uh, if you're hurting because you miss your father, he's no longer part of your life, we're with you. And if you rejoice because... You get to have an opportunity to, to still build that relationship. Let me encourage you, do that. Make the time. You, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. So make the most of these opportunities and, and go spend some time with, with dear old dad if you have the opportunity. Um, so today, I want to share a message with you uh, that's entitled Pride and Suffering. Uh, sometimes these can be at the hands of our fathers, let's be honest. Sometimes it's their pride that leads to suffering. Sometimes it's our pride that leads to suffering. But this is not a message about either of those. Today we're going to look at this story in the Bible in 2 Kings. And we're going to just look at two different people. We've talked about this a little bit on a Wednesday night, but I want to expound on it this morning with you. Uh, the two people that we're going to look at in this story, uh, one of them is a believer. One of them is not. The non-believer discovers that he's got terminal, a terminal illness. How many of you know a terminal illness can wake some people up? All of a sudden, you find out time's not promised to you, and it matters to you what you're doing with the rest of your time. The believer is a 14-year-old little girl whose parents were murdered. She gets kidnapped, and she's sold into human trafficking. Let's put this right in the middle of, of our context today. Unfortunately, uh, human trafficking is the second largest area of criminal enterprise in the entire world. It is a global market and the thing that these, uh, those who are involved in this say, the reason it's so popular is because it's a reusable resource. Think about how sick and devastating that is. And so today, as we get into this, I just want you to realize this is exactly what we're talking about in the scenario that we're in, okay? And so we're going to look at these two stories, and we're going to see how God weaves them together to show us a glimpse at what he's doing in the world today. Now, I know that a lot of you have some situations going on in your life that would make you wonder um, is God really even aware of what's happening? This, is God even up to something in my life? Is he even doing something? Or, or perhaps, maybe if we get really right down to it, you're wrestling with, is there even a God? I, I've been to church, I've been around church, but I, I'm not sure this God really exists. And based on the things that are going on in your life, it would be easy to draw those assumptions. And we're going to deal with that because I believe this passage gives us a unique glimpse into that. Now, I remember as a kid watching cartoons. When I was a kid, you had one opportunity to watch cartoons, right? Saturday mornings. You want a surefire way to get your kid out of bed on Saturday morning, let that be the only time they can watch their favorite cartoons. They will set their own alarm, be up at six o'clock sitting in front of the TV making their own cereal, right? Guaranteed easy way to do it. My brother and I did it for years, right? So the cartoons would play and they would go until about 10, 30 or 11, somewhere in there. And then after they were over, on came this really strange character on TV, and he, he would paint. And he was known for taking these blobs of paint all over the canvas, right? And he would paint happy little trees. You guys remembering this? Come on, how do you remember Bob Ross? 
He's, he's still on. I, I know, I know. He's still on. But it's a different generation today. There's a picture floating around. If you're friends with Gary King on Facebook, you need to just go look at Gary's pictures because there's a picture when Gary had the same hairdo as Bob Ross. And that's all I'm going to say about that. It is well worth going to find because it's hilarious. Nonetheless, Bob Ross would come on and he would paint and he would take and he would throw these, these I mean, just amorphous blobs on the, on the canvas, right? And then he would add a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And, and all of a sudden, uh, this nothing mess of, of just a conglomeration of blobs on the canvas began to take shape. And all of a sudden, there was a tree, and then there was a cloud. And it wasn't because he, he added, a, it was the contrast and the colors that gave rise to the light and the dark and gave definition to it. But he knew what it was going to be the whole time. But in the midst of it, watching him do this painting, you had no idea what it was going to be, right? It was like, what is this one going to be? Now, about the third weekend, you knew that's going to be a tree. Because you've seen a glimpse of this before, Amen. Sometimes in our life, we, we end up that way, where it looks like there's no way. God, you're up to something very similar. I've seen this before. I know how this is going to turn out. That's a faith story that we've got in our lives. Amen? If you've already overcome something by, by faith, seeing it again is no big deal. Amen? You see it again, and you're like, oh, this again? Okay. I can handle that. I, I, it just amazes me the longer we're in, in faith and the more we accomplish and conquer in faith, the easier some of these trials and tribulations become because as we work through them, we see the other side of what it can be. Same thing here. Bob Ross, he knew what it was going to be. As we look at this passage, we're going to see how even though in the midst of it, there's no way we could have known what it was, God takes that works it all together and paints us a beautiful picture for us to see. The story we're going to look at is the story of Naaman. It's quite possibly one of my favorite passages in all of the Old Testament. It's a little short, brief story that's tucked in here. Um, and to me, it answers one of life's most asked questions. What could God be up to in this? What is God up to when I can't see the evidence of him working in my life? I think if we could take an anonymous poll, many of you in the room would raise your hand and say, yep, that's me, Pastor. There are times I wonder what's God up to because I don't see how this is working out. Today, I want to look at this and just kind of give us uh, a pause to, to see what God might be doing in our lives through this story. So we're going we're to read through this passage. Uh, it'll be on the screens for you to follow along. We're going to begin in verse number one. It says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, what's the king of Syria, okay, um, was a great man in his master's sight and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. Let me pause there. This is Syria. God has given Syria. That's what it says. The Lord has given the victory to Aram or Syria. He's given Syria who is one of Israel's most, uh, I mean, they hate them. They, they hate them like a, an OU fan hates the, the Texas Longhorns, Okay. Like there's no color of, of burnt orange that anybody can wear if you're a Sooner fan. It just doesn't work. It doesn't fit in your color wheel. It's just not going to happen. Now, if you're a Texas fan, you feel the same way. We, when we were in Dallas a couple of weeks ago, we stopped at a restaurant. Uh, we ate there, and the young man who was our waiter, he was a graduate from the University of Texas, and I refrained from every Texas joke I could come up with, right? He was a graduate, and he, never mind, I'll leave it alone. Nonetheless, we could at least together bash on the Aggies, but that's a different story. But after it was all said and done and we had maintained our decorum, we were headed out and uh, on the ticket, Rachel had written Boomer Sooner there at the bottom. And so I had 
you get an opportunity like that, you got to make the most of it, right? So I had taken Hayes to the restroom because thank God he's finally wanting to potty train and everybody just take a moment and praise the Lord with me. Okay? As a dad, that's like huge win. Just means I have to go to the bathroom a lot more. So hey, whatever, it works out. So I take Hayes, we're about to leave, and he's, the waiter is like tapping on the window trying to get Rachel and them's attention because he's laughing, he and his buddy. And he comes over to me, he goes, I, got, I just got to be honest with you for a minute. He goes, oh yeah, sure. He said, I have a button that says, Oh, you stinks, except he didn't say stinks. He, he said, we're a vacuum cleaner and it does what it does. So he, I have a button that says that. I said, that's no problem. I've got the t-shirt. And so it is what it is. And that's the kind of, of, of bitter rivalry that we're talking about here, okay? That, that Israel and, and, and Syria did not merge together, okay? So here, here they are. God's punishing Israel for their sin, for the, uh, the idolatry that they have held, the sin that they've done, and they're going to be hauled off into captivity. That's what's happening in this passage. So this is a story from that era when God is fulfilling all of the things. He said, if you don't do what I say, I will turn you over to captivity. That's where we're at. It goes on to say, the man was a brave warrior, but he had a skin disease. Now, in this time period, that's a huge but. Huge, huge issue that he's dealing with. Basically, it means he was a leper. Depending on what version of the Bible you're reading, it says he was a leper. Leprosy was one of the most feared diseases of the time. I mean, literally, leprosy, it began as a small white powdery patch on your skin that eventually would take over. It was kind of like a rash, and it would spread all over your body. And as it spread, the nerve endings of your skin would die. Boils would break out all over your body. It would leave gaping wounds of raw flesh. And eventually, body parts would fall off. Your facial features lost shape and became grotesque. Essentially, you turned into a character from The Walking Dead. Okay? I mean, it was just gross, nasty what happened. So in those days, there was no cure. There was no way to help them. And literally what happens is the moment these spots would, were discovered, you were immediately banished so that you didn't spread it. You were sent to the leper colony to be one of them. And for the next 10 to 20 years, however long you lived, it was a torturous death in isolation. That's what this mighty man is now faced with. So mighty name him, name him. At the top of the world, one of, uh, I mean, he's got everything going on. He's got the, the world by the tail, getting everything that he wants, just an amazing opportunity for him. And yet now it's discovered the spots of death. Carrying on to verse two, Aram had gone on raids. So Syria had gone on raids and brought back from the land of Israel, a young girl who served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, mistress, if only my master would go to the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. She's talking about Elisha here. Okay. So Naaman went, told his master what the girl from the land of Israel had said. Therefore, the king of Aram said, go, and I will send a letter with you to the king of Israel. So he went and took with him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 changes of clothes. In other words, here, take this huge sum of money and go get healed. Now, if this works, Elisha's got the setup for a fantastic television ministry, Right? You get healed if you'll bring me 150 pounds of gold. I mean, let's just call it what it is, okay? So it seemed odd to me that there were 10 changes of clothes. Like, what's the big deal? Well, in this time period, that was huge. You didn't just own that. It'd be like all of a sudden he brought the preacher 10 Rolls Royces to set in the garage. That's what he essentially brought the man of God. In other words, 
The preacher's going to be blinged out, okay? That's what he's bringing the man of God. So verse 6, he brought the letter to the king of Israel, and it read, When this letter comes to you, note that I have sent you my servant Naaman for you to cure him of his skin disease. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and asked, Am I God killing and giving life that this man expects me to cure a man of his skin disease? Think it over and you will see that he's only picking a fight with me. He thinks Syria is looking for an excuse for war. So when Elisha, the man of God, heard about the, that the king had tore his clothes, he sent a message to the king, why have you torn your clothes? Have him come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman comes with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Get it? He's at Elisha's house, at the door. Elisha looks out the window, sees the posse of Naaman coming up, right? And what does Elisha do? Hey, servant. Next verse, friend. The next verse he says, he sends his servant, sends his messenger who said, go and wash seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored. In other words, hey, my favorite TV show is on. I'm trying to watch Bishop Jakes. Would you go tell him to go do what I said? <laughs> Think about it. Mighty man. 150 pounds of gold, 750 pounds of silver, 10 Rolls Royces. Here you go. I'm too busy to be bothered by you. That's what he says to him. So, Naaman, uh, uh, verse 13, but his servant approached him and said to him, wait, 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 back up, let me back up, sorry. Verse 11, but Naaman got angry and said, I was telling myself he will surely come out and stand, uh, stand and call on the name of Yahweh his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure the skin disease. He's ticked off, right? Verse 12, aren't Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he left in rage. In other words, you want me to go wash in this dirty creek you call a river? Not only that, it's 15 miles. Historians tell us it's 15 miles from where this encounter takes place. You want me to go all the way over there? I've got clean water at home I could have washed in. You want me to go to the dirty creek and take it? No, I'm not going to do it. Verse 13, his servant approaches him and says, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some, something great, would you not have done it? How much more should you not do what he tells you, wash and be clean? In other words, hey, if he told you to climb the top of the mountain, pick a rare flower that's underneath rocks, surrounded by scorpions and snakes, you would have done it. But this little simple thing you're too afraid to go do, are you kidding me, you big old sissy? So Naaman went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times according to the command of the man of God. Then his skin was restored. He became like, and became like the skin of a small boy and he was clean. Then Naaman and his whole company went back to the man of God, again, 15 miles out of the way, went back to the man of God, stood before him, before him and declared. Now, hang on, pause right here. It's the first time he's actually seeing the prophet. He makes his way all the way back. He's standing in front of him. And you would think, right? He would, he would go in, knock on the door, fall on his feet and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. You saved my life. Man, you're awesome. I love you. And give him a hug and a kiss on the cheek because it's okay for him to have other personal contact with people. But that's not what it says he says, right? What he says is, I know there is no God in the whole world except in Israel. There's no other God. There's no God but this. He doesn't mention leprosy. He, was, he, he went looking for a cure, and instead, what's he find? God. 
He went looking for help, and what did he find? A Savior. That's what happens. God uses his search for a cure to bring him something so much greater than a cure could have ever been, and that was a relationship with Jesus. That's what God brought him. That knowledge of God was so much greater, so much more more important, so much more powerful than the cure could have ever been that when he meets Elisha, he forgets entirely why he came other than to testify about God. What an amazing story, right? There's two things I want to pull out here of what God does. Because God uses our pain, amen? I don't know about you, but I know in my life, God uses my pain. God uses the struggle that I've gone through. God uses the, the, the torture that, that comes through life's decisions. God choose, uses all of that, and he works it together. So the first thing that God does is he uses the pain to bring us to himself. God uses the pain in our lives to bring us to, ourself, to, to himself. So here's the question. What if God has a much bigger purpose in our pain than what we understand. In the story, right, Naaman's at the top of the world. I mean, he's living large, right? I mean, think about it. He could give a gift of 150 pounds of gold. Let's see. I got a dollar. Okay, man of God. Where's the miracle? You're supposed to, you know, turn it back into something else, right? Right? He's handing it off to somebody else. Here's what happens, right? This is what we do. We turn it into one of those moments. Just hang on to it. We, we turn it into one of those moments, right? Now, he, he's at the top of the food chain. Life is good. He is living large, and all of a sudden, the spots of death shows up. And all of a sudden, the clout and the notoriety and the power and the wealth and all of this experience in military matter for nothing. At one moment, that's all wiped out when the spot of death arrives, And now all of a sudden he is knocked down to fragility just like the rest of humanity around him. There is nothing special about him. All of a sudden he is just like every other peon and peasant in the world who is susceptible to life's issues. Have you ever had a moment when life dealt you one of those blows? I I like to think I'm God's favorite. Anybody else? (laughs) Let's be honest. We, We run around. You just, I know I am. We, we loved that feeling, right? Eugene, being God's favorite, did you still have to have a kidney replaced? Sometimes life's not fair, is it? The Bible still says it rains on the just and the unjust. God takes the pain that we have. I, I don't know who this is really going to land for. I don't know everybody's story here. But there's pain in your life, and God is saying, listen, it doesn't mean you're not still my favorite. It means you're still in a fallen world that has dominated by sin. And one day I'm going to rescue not only you, but I'm going to rescue this whole world when I come back, and I'm going to set up my kingdom. I'm going to restore everything the way that it's supposed to be. Amen? Now listen, I, I don't know what it is you're facing, but you can trust that God knows what's going on. He's in the middle of it, and he's going to use it for his glory. And he's going to bring you closer to him than you have ever been. Now pain has a way of making us look for a savior. In life, pain happens. Some people 
have learned to find the solution to their pain at the bottom of a bottle. And can I tell you that when that runs dry, the pain is still there. But if you'll run to the well that never runs dry, you can drink and drink and drink and drink and keep on drinking until the pain is gone and God has dealt with it because that's a river that never runs dry. When life deals it to you, hang in there. So what if, let me mess with some of your theology for a moment. What if God allowed the pain into your life to get your attention? I've heard stories of pro athletes sign multi-million dollar com, uh, uh, contracts and then before they can even play their first season, throw the whole thing away off on one weekend doing something stupid, have a wreck and never again be able to play the sport ever and lose everything what if God allowed that to happen because their salvation is worth more than the contract they could have ever signed? What if in the midst of that, God's using our stupidity to reach out and get us to draw us close to himself? That's what God has a way of doing because God never wastes a hurt. He never wastes a moment to reach us and to teach us more about who he is. So what if like Naaman, through the pain, you were able to discover something that is so much better than everything else that you've ever had before that you completely forget to mention the pain that was there in the first place. I've seen it happen. How many of you have seen it happen? Where a miracle happens and a healing occurs, and the next thing you know, that person that had a broken bone is dancing across the front of the church because God has healed them, and they never even remember that the pain was there in the first place. I've seen it. I've witnessed it firsthand. There is something magical and special about those moments. Let's cling to what God can do. So let me ask you, where are the spots in your own lives that have been revealed that says, hey, you may not have it all together? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you and your spouse are not really jiving on the same issue. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe you and your kids don't have a great relationship. Maybe you don't have a great relationship with your parents. Maybe, maybe your spots are a habit you can't get over. Alcohol, drugs, pornography. Maybe it's in those areas. Maybe it's a health scare where all of a sudden you realize, God, you're getting my attention. There's something going on here. See, these spots are pointing to a bigger problem. Biblically speaking, leprosy is a representative of sin. That's what leprosy represents. It's something that spreads. And if you don't deal with it at the very beginning, at its inception, it will spread until eventually you are a, a mere blob of who you used to be. That's what happens in our lives. That's what sin does. Like, like leprosy, sin deadens. It, it grows in us. And eventually it spreads its corruption throughout our whole body, our mind, our soul, and our spirit. When we lose feeling in parts that eventually die. We used to be sensitive to what God was doing. But because of sin, because we allowed this little sin in here and it, was, it wasn't a big deal but God used to could deal with us about that and now God can't deal with us about that because we've allowed sin to harden us in those areas and we've lost the feeling don't allow leprosy and sin of leprosy to spread throughout you that's what happens our soul has a disease and it's a terminal disease amen but Romans tells us for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory and the wages, fallen short of God's glory and the wages of sin is death. The lesser spots can wake us up to the ultimate spot that's going on if we'll allow it to. The point of this story, let me answer really quickly in case you're thinking, it's simple. It has nothing to do with washing to be clean. It's not, it's not a prescription for being cured for leprosy. 
There have been many that have tried. Let me just run on down to the Jordan and I'll be clean if I get baptized. It doesn't work that way, friends. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is to show us that God uses every situation that comes at us to bring us to him. That's what he does. So he uses our pain to bring us to himself, but he also uses our pain to bring others to him. That's what he does. That's, that's who he is. So let's, let's turn away from Naaman for just a minute, and let's get back to the little girl. 14-year-old little girl. Again, she's, she's been... Uh, parents have been murdered. She's been taken captive, sold into human trafficking. And now here she is. She's a slave. How, how would you respond? And by the way, I think she's the hero in the story. Let's call it what it is, okay? How would you respond to the person who has murdered your parents, has taken you captive, made you a slave in their own house? How would you respond when all of a sudden that person, that man, comes down with leprosy, a terminal illness? Could I just be honest for a second? <laughs> I'm glad you said yes because I'm going to. I would be like, serves you right, sucker. You get what you deserve. The Bible talks about sowing and reaping. You've been a bad guy, you're going to get bad stuff. This, this is the Lord visiting you. This is payback for my parents. Try to find a way to stick a little salt in that open wound, right? Make it worse. I mean, let's, can we just be honest? That's human nature. That's, that's a human response in this. That's not at all how she responds. What if she would have said, I hope your decrepit body just falls all apart, literally. Right? It's not what she said. What does she say? She says, if only my master would go to the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. <laughs> Is there a more compassionate response? Is there a more Christ-like response? <laughs> she seems to genuinely care for him, and, and she seems remarkably to have actually forgiven him. Remarkably, somehow she has found here a way to forgive the most unforgivable trespasses against her and her family, the murder of her parents, the, the slavery that she has been brought into, she has found a way to forgive. And, and somehow she musters the faith to say, I'll let God be the judge who makes things right. Right now, I'm going to have compassion on him. When we get to heaven, I, I want to run up to Holy Ghost Blockbuster because they may still have those. If not, we'll get it on Netflix. That's a different story. And I want to rent this segment of Bible story, right? Because I want to see this and I want to watch it with this little girl because I want to give her a hug and I want to give her a high five and tell her, that's amazing. Thank you for being Christ-like in the Old Testament when you didn't know about Christ, but thank you for displaying the most Christ-like attitude that we could have in the Old Testament because it's there. You demonstrated what grace is supposed to embody in us. So that's what she does. She shows him in this clear way. Think about it. She was suffering through no fault of her own. She didn't do it. She didn't cause any of this. And yet, she finds a way to forgive the man who caused the suffering, to forgive his sin, to forgive him. More than that, her suffering becomes a means to his salvation. I want you to think about that for a second. Her suffering, her being Christ-like in the midst of her suffering produces salvation in someone else. 
Think about the pain and the suffering you have gone through. Think about what you're facing. Are you living Christ-like through it so others can see that there is a God in heaven? Are others watching you live it out? Be truthful and honest. This stinks, but you know what? I know there's a way for salvation to come to your door. I know there's a way for salvation to come to your house, and it's by going to see the man of God, by entering into a relationship with Jesus. Naaman never would have known about Elisha had it not been for her. In the same way, our salvation comes through a suffering servant. Like this little girl, Jesus suffered through no fault of his own. And like her, instead of hating us and, and, and for causing the suffering that he went through, instead he loves us and forgives us and continues to love us. Aren't you grateful for that? I'm so grateful for the love of Jesus that surpassed all the torture that I put him through. How many times I have spit in his face by continuing to sin after I've received grace and running the risk of walking out from under that. Thank God in heaven that he has saved me and loved me and continued to love me. That's what a father's love is supposed to do. It's supposed to be unescapable and unavoidable. His suffering became the means by which our sins are washed away. Like Isaiah said, but he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his stripes, by the way, the stripes we caused, we are healed. That's why the old hymn could say, Lord, now, I now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Here's what it means for you, the believer, like this little girl and like Jesus. God uses our suffering to bring others to him. Does through our issues, does God bring others to himself? In the Old Testament, we can see that God would send Israel into captivity. That was by their own choices, but God sent them there because of their sin. Here, we see God had another purpose too, is the pain and the suffering we face helping others to find Jesus, or are we too busy blaming God in the process? So I want to challenge your faith for just a moment. See, I think suffering is the God-ordained means by which he brings salvation to others. Let me show you. Let me show you what the Bible says in Colossians 1.24. Paul said, I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. That is the church. Us going through it helps to complete what Christ was trying to accomplish in the earth, which was to seek and to save that which are lost. Amen? So when we live Christ's light through our suffering, it produces that in other people's lives. Amen? Let me close with this story. In the 1950s, there's a story about five young American men who were speared to death. There was a movie made about it called At the End of the Spear. They were on the beach in Ecuador trying to, to reach this remote group of, of, of tribes people who had never heard about the gospel. And after they died, everyone asked, why did God let this happen? Why? Well, years later, one of the sons of one of the missionaries who was killed, his name was Nate Saint, he said in an interview, 
After carefully reviewing things, it looks like there is no way that this could have happened apart from the direct intervention of God. That quote is in direct reference to how the gospel has been spread among this group of people. This tribe of people have now overwhelmingly become Christians because they killed those five, and as they worked through the, the consequences of that internally, they welcomed other missionaries in who, spare, who shared the gospel. Had that moment never happened, the opportunity for uh, uh, Americans to be able to share the gospel with them would have never been available to them. The son of this dead missionary said that there is no possible way what has happened, all these people being saved, could have happened apart from the five missionaries being killed on the beach. Friends, what we go through has a direct impact on others coming to know Jesus. The cancer you're facing, the relational issues you're facing, do you still live as though Jesus is Lord and that he has a purpose and a plan? Or do we live wondering why did God allow this to happen? So here's the question. Are we willing to take on wounds and become a wounded servant so that others may know Jesus? Maybe God's asking you to make a financial gift that would really affect your lifestyle, but it means salvation for so many others. Maybe it's letting your kids have freedom to pursue the mission that God has given their lives, to go on a missions trip, not live near you, to just be able to let them go. Maybe, maybe it's to forgive someone. Maybe it's to forgive your dad. Dad, maybe it's to forgive your ex-wife. Maybe it's to forgive your kids. Maybe it's to forgive God and let it go because you're still holding him hostage and blame for everything that's happened. Maybe it's to endure the scorn of others who are going to talk bad about you because of your convictions and your choices. Are we willing to become suffering servants so that others may know him? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, Pastor... First of all, I need to come to Jesus. I need to let Jesus into my heart. I've allowed sin to separate me from him, and I want to start Father's Day by making sure my relationship with my Heavenly Father is right and intact. If that's you, would you slip up a hand? Okay. Who else? Come on. Your hands go up already. Who else? Come on. All right. Who else? Before we even move on, let's, let's pause right here. And I want everybody to repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I ask you to forgive my sins. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. I ask you to help me want to follow you. I ask you to help me to forsake all of the other things in my life so that I can follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, still with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I've got a forgiveness issue. <laughs> I, I need to forgive a father, a child, an ex, someone else. Somebody who's hurt you, somebody who's caused you pain so that you can point others to Jesus. If that's you, would you lift up a hand? You've got a forgiveness issue, all right? Who else? 
Okay. All right. Who else? All right. Come on, who else? God just do a deep work. I'm just pausing for a second because I want us to be real and honest. I know we're over on time a little bit. It's going to be just fine. Give it a second. Is God dealing with you about a forgiveness issue? Are you harboring bitterness? Jesus still said that if you don't forgive others, he can't forgive you. Come on, if you're harboring unforgiveness and bitterness, let it go. In just a second, Our elders and prayer team members, they're going to make their way down here around these altars. And if you raised your hand because today you want to come to salvation, if you raised your hand for salvation, I want you to come to one of our prayer team members and tell them that. We want to help you get plugged in around uh, into a discipleship track that will help others to be able to follow up on you and love on you and care for you and help you walk in the way. But if you raised your hand because you've got a forgiveness issue, I don't care if you're 12 or if you're 112 or anywhere in between, we want to agree with you that God can help you to forgive so that you can let it go and live free and be truly free. So in just a moment, as we all stand, we're gonna, our prayer team's going to come, and if you need prayer for any reason, we want to agree with you. So all across the room, would you please stand right where you're at? As David plays, he's going to begin to sing a song. Prayer team, elders, would you make your way down? If you raised your hand for any reason or you need prayer for any reason, would you come and let us agree with you? And if you've got a forgiveness issue...